Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th and remember, we all flourish with joy. Fender Bender on Joy 94.9 Revving up the weekends with news and views on all things motoring Yes, welcome once again to another edition of Fender Bender My name is Tim Nicholson Very excited to have your lovely company today Uh, Big thanks to Luke and the gang for Critical Hit They will be back next week with a double barrel episode Which I will tell you a little bit more about a little bit later on Um, I've got some lovely gentlemen here in the studio ready to talk cars This is Joy's very own motoring program We've got some fabulous guests today We're speaking with the lovely Paul Mathers from Motor Classica He's going to be telling us all about the wonderful event that is on today You can go down there today or tomorrow It's very exciting Mike drives a Range Rover Sport from Sydney to Melbourne Because he can. We've got lots of news and reviews and all of the usual fun stuff. So make sure you stick around for the next hour or so. You are listening to Fender Bender and I am here with a couple of gentlemen. Mike Costello. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm not too bad. Yeah. Yeah. Good to hear. Good to hear <laughs> on this lovely Saturday. And Dan Gardner. Oh, hello. How are you? Oh, I'm great. How Good are you? Yeah, I'm very well. Thank you. Very well. It's a, it's a lovely day. There's a lot happening in Melbourne. Uh, we've got Motor Classica on right now. You can go down there and have a look at some wonderful cars. And we're going to be talking to Paul Mathers very shortly about what is going on at the Melbourne Exhibition buildings. It's exciting, isn't it? It is exciting. Just going that. Just going to see the building is enough of a reason alone. It's a spectacular building, the Royal Exhibition Centre. Very. The pretty. fact that someone's filled it up with really cool cars is just a bonus, in my opinion. Mm, it's very pretty. Although I do have an Irish friend who thinks it's outrageous that it's um, heritage listed. Why? Well, I don't know. He just thinks it's a really overrated building. What a strange... Is he an architect? <laughs> no. Interior designer? No, he's just got a lot of attitude. Mm. Sassy Irish people. <laughs> Too much, much. The sound of it. Yeah, a lot of sass there. How are you, Tim? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very well. We've got a lot coming up. Mike is going to do a big-ass drive from uh, Sydney to Melbourne. We'll hear about that later on as well. Not during the show. He's already done it. No, he's already done it, exactly. Yeah. It's over, guys. I mean, It's only yeah, so far you can go in an hour. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we're going to have a bit of a chat about the Toki, uh, Toki Motor Show. The Toki <laughs> Excuse me. The Tokyo Motor Show, which is coming up very, very soon. Uh, And the reason for that is because next week, dear listener, uh, the Fender Bender people will be having a small break from the airwaves to make way for the very lovely Luke and the gang from Critical Hit doing a double barrel episode. Um, But we will be back the week after to talk about all the stuff we saw at Tokyo because we're all going, which is very exciting. Um, now, guys, moving right along. Do you know what I mean? So we've had some exciting... Um, <laughs> sorry, that was a bit jamay. Um, we've had some exciting pricing news this week here in Australia. Ooh, whoever some, says exciting I know. pricing news. It's not the sexiest thing in the world, but the car is. I am talking, of course, about the Ford Focus RS. Yeah, the RS. We do love a bit of mm-hmm. RS. Now, this car, they've, they've been kind of really drip-feeding the information on this car, haven't they? It's well, they constant. still are. It's not launching until the middle of next year, and yet they put the pricing out this week. Yeah, Ford did that with the Mustang, didn't yeah. they? What do you think? Building anticipation, and I would suggest that's a smart move. In that, if I'm thinking, oh, I really want one, and they don't release pricing, but I know about the car, it's like, oh no, I'll wait and see how much it's going to cost. 
now I don't need to wait. I'll go into that Ford dealer and put my money down. So mm. I think it's actually quite a clever move. Mm. Yeah. And you will require $51,000. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Which that- is pretty good, right? Apparently, quite a lot of car for your money. Yeah. This thing's crazy. I mean, it's crazier than the old one, which was mm. pretty crazy to begin with. It, it's really, it's only rivals are things like the Audi RS3 and the Mercedes AMG A45. It's mm. in that sort of uber hatch echelon. Um, it's a lot more powerful than an STI or a Golf R or any of those, and yet it's priced broadly equivalently, equivalently with them. So, yeah, Ford's really going all out with this car. Although I suppose the argument is you're still getting a Ford Focus, aren't you? You're not getting something sort of premium and European for your 51 grand. But then you could say, I mean, the, there's also the argument people kind of say with the A45 and things like that. It's like, oh, it's a lot of money for a hatch. You know, I mean, does it matter about the badge? I know people do have that issue and kind of think, oh, no, I'd really prefer something a bit more premium. But the car, from you know what we understand, will probably do a pretty good job of scaring the pants off you. Which is what people who like buy this kind of car want. Well, t- <laughs> sounds fantastic. Well, Mike was talking about powerful STIs before. So, <laughs> mm. so you know, your pants off, powerful STI. I think they were saving know. that one for a different show. Yeah, yes. Oh, okay. So, I Let me ask you, though. So, this has got the same engine, but a different tune. It's more powerful than the, uh, the engine when it's under the bonnet of the Mustang. Now, that starts at 45. Yeah. Would you rather... Okay, that, that, let's, okay, 45 grand for the Mustang. Well, hang on, Tim's had an idea. I know. I like it when he gets all excited. And I love a would you rather. Would you rather the RS, 51, uh-huh. the Mustang for 44, 45, or the XR8 for about 52, 53? Oh, this is a the good question. Power. Mm. Controversial. Mm. Uh, do you want to go? I'm going to go first. Mm, go cool. on. It is definitely the Mustang for me. Yeah, you're a queen I, I am unashamedly uh, I love that car it's wonderful but I mean how can you beat a rear drive muscle car coupe over anything else you know yes the XR8 is cool it's, it's very brash it's supercharged V8 you can't get much more power for your money mm. but it's still a big sedan you know and the RS doesn't matter how much power you give it it's still a, a hatchback you know you can't beat a big muscular coupe can you i would take the falcon i wouldn't drive it i'd wrap it up i'd Uh, put it in cryogenic freezing and i'd thaw it out in 30 years time and sell it for half a million dollars because it'll be the last of an era yeah and you're seeing it now the old falcons go for heaps of money that's a very good point actually and funnily enough and i'm not even saying this because you two said that i would go the rs because it would go around a corner way quicker than both of your dumb cars how good are we (laughs) aren't we amazing Uh, i did not plan that i'm going to throw in one fourth and final option yep the original focus rs same, about the same money for the for the new one. They're uh, they're an appreciating classic, and I think in many ways they're way way better, more visceral, harsher, and revo knuckle. And you can get them in that green. There, you can get are there any nerds green. out there that know what the revo knuckle? So is? my pick is mm. um, yes, a type of suspension, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say go for the original. That's my pick. There you go. Um, now some other pricing news to, uh, this week, guys. Is um, this one's a little bit more controversial? So Jeep released their Renegade in Australia. Dan, you drove it overseas, I think, last year earlier. This I did. Year. I did. Um, uh, and at the time, we mm. all said, this is a fantastic car. It does a lot of things. There's a wide range right the way from, you know, the 1.4 turbo front driver all the way up to the Trailhawk, which is an all-wheel drive, and it will go everywhere off-road. Mm. And we said, everything about this car is fantastic, but it could all hinge around the pricing. If it's a bargain and it's around about the same price as Mazda CX-3, then we're on. We're absolutely laughing. But if they get it wrong, then this will be a disaster. Yep. What did they do? Well, it starts at 30 and it tops out at about 42. Ouch. Yeah, and that's a lot more than a Mazda 
to CX3 and it's yeah. proof that the exchange rate is really starting to burn because yep. our dollar is so weak against America at the moment. This is an American car. Mm. I reckon that might be behind this one. Jeep sales aren't going brilliantly anymore, are they? They're well, on the slide. You've seen a lot of American brands up their prices. Apple recently upped its prices as well. So um, I think it's happening to brands that get stuff out of America. But, yep. you know, this car, it's just too expensive. There's yep. no uh, no other way to cut it. It's a cool-looking little thing. but I think it'll have a niche, but it will be a niche. Yeah. It's not going to resurrect their sales in it's Australia. It's very polarizing, isn't it, the Renegade? It is. I absolutely love the look of it. But yeah. I would feel like a bit of a wanker if I bought one. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you? I don't know. I just feel like Maybe, it's a bit yeah. posery. It's kind. Of, it's got a, a, a presence that's even better in person, uh, and it actually feels a lot light. It's bigger than you you might be expecting. I was expecting to be a really. It looks like a toy, yeah. doesn't it? When you'd see it in pictures, and actually, it's a bit bigger. So the thing that I really love about this car is it's got little Easter eggs hidden all over it. So um, for those who don't know, Easter eggs are these little treats that car companies uh, design into the car for you to discover day to day when you own the car, and you only really find them after living with it for a for a little while. So you know, little things like there's a Yeti, um, a little silhouette <laughs> of a Yeti. At the bottom of the windscreen and at the other end there's a little I don't want to ruin them all for you if you get one so I'll, just, I'll leave it there but there's yeah. little little pieces of uh, Jeep history throughout the, the whole car it's really exciting and finally on the pricing front guys in uh, in Australia this week uh, Toyota released the Fortuna which is a Hilux based SUV I'm Fortuna you wow. know sometimes salmon just doesn't cut a it it's so. the only car that sounds like cat food it does it really does but it looks a little better than cat food it is <laughs> also priced well under Ford's equivalent which is the Everest now, it, Ford would sell this as a much more high-end option. Is it? We'd have to put them back-to-back to, back to, Ford to determine that. Ford is talking bollocks. Well, a little bit. Mm-hmm. So, this thing starts at forty-seven nine ninety and goes up to, you know, for your auto top spec, sixty-one nine ninety. That's I think they're all cheaper than... It's, I think that the Everest starts at, what is it? 54 climbs to 76. That's what it is. This is basically a Hilux with better rear suspension, mm. so coils rather than you know, leafs with a solid axle and seven seats. Basically yeah. a pretty simple recipe. Rivals things like the Isuzu MUX, I guess the Mitsubishi Pajero mm. and soon to be released new Challenger and of course the overpriced Everest. And if you cannot afford a Prado but you really want a Toyota SUV that does stuff off-road, there you here go. it is. That's your one. We have a lot coming up uh, later in the show, but uh, right now we are continuing with a little bit of newsage. Now, guys, guys, there are not that many Chinese car makers in Australia yet, are there? But another one is here slash back. Is is sort of for a long time the Chinese car makers have been on the you know the. Um I guess the outer periphery of the car industry. Everyone's been saying for years they're coming. You know, give it a few years, the Chinese brands will be here and they'll be great and they'll be up there with the Koreans and Japanese. Mm. Hasn't really happened yet. Ever since I've been in this business, people have been saying it. Still hasn't happened. Yeah. One that's tried and failed is MG. MG's pretty pretty damn well known. It's owned by SAIC, which is China's biggest car brand. It's owned mm. by the government of Shanghai. So, obviously, it's got a fair bit of cash to throw around. Um, and it's taking the distributorship in-house. Mm. Uh, it tried to sell MGs under a private distributor in Sydney. It was a massive failure. Nobody bought the cars. They were too expensive. Nobody even knew they were here, basically. No. They're going to try again. Going to give it a red-hot go. Yeah. Look, How? I mean, what's the angle you go on after that? How many well, goes do you get before you realise <laughs> it's just not going to work? This right? is the funny thing about MG, because ah, M- sh- MG, as we know it now, makes... A small sedan, it makes mm. a little SUV, and it, what else? A light car. Yeah, a little light car with a manual-only gearbox, no mm. auto, which is what people buy. Sounds and, and great it for doesn't Australia. have, <laughs> there's a sort of inauspicious uh, thing to this whole launch because there isn't the MG that everybody wants. If MG isn't going to sell a light, cheap 
MX-5 rivaling convertible, then don't bloody bother. That's the brand's signature. Yep. Exactly. And the longer that brand st- sticks around with cars that aren't a sports car, the more that brand gets damaged. And there's only so long you can do that before people lose any remnant of association with the brand and it's ruined. It has and, no and, value anymore. And what we're really seeing, and a lot of this again comes back to the thing we touched on with Renegade Currency Flows, is that the Chinese brands that are here, so Havala is another example, they're pricing their cars in line with Hyundai's and Nissan's and Mazda's and known nameplates. And unfortunately, if you're a brand, even MG with all that brand equity and, and history, it's sort of an unknown quantity yeah. with the product it's selling now. You have to be really cheap. And the mistake it made last time was they weren't cheap. No. They were actually quite expensive. So unless they're charging 15 grand for a Corolla rival, forget mm. about it. Yeah. Forget about it. It's it's interesting because I, b- I believe they are developing a small sports car to have as a bit of a hero thing and because it's what their brand is. Yeah. Um, strange question for the Brits out there. Who, remember yes. the last MG? I don't know what it was called. The one from like the 90s slash early MGF. 90s. Mm-hmm. Who owned the company then? Do we know? Rover was... That was before right. Rover got brought out by BMW. Ah. And then BMW bought Rover and Mini and then sold Rover to SARC, which turned it into Rowey and spun off MG and BMW kept Mini and blah, 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 blah. very confusing. Yeah. Look... The thing is with this... I think that was right. I might be completely wrong. I'm going to have people yelling and screaming at the radio if I'm wrong. So, well, apologies if I was. Yeah. Look, I, it's funny because that little MG3, that's the little light car. It's a Fiesta rival. It actually looks really good. I saw a few of them around the streets of Thailand recently. And I was like, gee, that's actually quite a charming cute, little car. Yeah. Really attractive. But as you say, manual gearbox, it's not going to do anything here. And the MG6 um, is a bit of a strange... Small to mid-size. What are you exactly? Your hatch, I think. I'm not. It's all a bit of an unknown. So I've driven one. Who knows? It's ordinary. Oh yeah, you did. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, you said it wasn't mm. brilliant. Yeah, sorry. Well, <laughs> maybe they'll make tweaks to it by the time it gets here. Yeah. Yeah. We all like making tweaks. Um, <laughs> now the other thing, but another exciting thing that's happening though. I oh no, I was going to say something really dirty. Um, Go on, this Ram, is Ram, ladies and gentlemen, Ram. Oh, okay, we know exactly. Oh, the euphemisms what he was right say themselves. Like, yes, exactly. So Ram trucks are coming to Australia. As in, they're going to actually be here, and then are they going to be converted here, or are they going to come here in right-hand drive already? They are going to be converted here, right? Because that's the way it works with the F series truck, the Ford F series. This is different yeah. though, because mm. the F series truck converted by companies like Performax. It's a third party. But this is slightly different. So the factory that makes them, the Dodge or the Fiat Chrysler factory that makes them, sends them direct to a company in Australia. It's sort of factory-backed. So, so Dodge goes, or Fiat, uh, Ram goes, look, we can't really afford to develop a right-hand drive car just for Australia, but we give you our blessing and we give you all our support. Uh, and it's being done by Walkinshaw, hmm. which, of course, is famed for its involvement with HSV and for Walkinshaw-tuned Commodores and for being the parent company of the distributor of Tata Utes in Australia. Say, more famously, but, And Mike. August <laughs> racing and tuning arm. Yeah. And it says it's put in tens of thousands of man-hours and millions of dollars developing the right setup. It's backed by Atico Automotive which is known for importing Mm. things in the past like Ferraris and Maseratis, has a big deal in network, lots of advertising money, all that sort of Mm. stuff. It's a really interesting matchup. There was an involvement from another figure early in the development, the former Jeep CEO, Clyde Campbell. It was Mm -hmm. caught up in a whole bunch of things that we might remember if we think back a few months. He is no longer part of the picture. But it's a really interesting deal. And it's sort of a precedent maybe for cars that can't come here. But it's sort of half private, half with the blessing of the maker. It's an interesting setup. And on that, 
I, I'm my understanding is that the the new CEO of uh, Fiat Chrysler Australia has been he's a big you know he's an American chap and he's very keen on getting Ram trucks here as part of their own stable. So I mean, what happens then? So he has thrown a bit of a spanner in the works. Well, Mr. It's, it's, Pat Doherty, exactly, and it's not happening yet. But, but I, you know, yeah, well, I mean, there's clearly a market there because yeah. all the Utes they sell in Australia are four cylinder diesels, and there are people that want to tow six, seven ton trailers. Totally. What's going to happen? I think is this group called um, American. Performance, them performance vehicles. Yes, American performance vehicles. This this joint venture that's importing Rams is going to import the twenty five hundred and thirty five hundred, which are the big daddy, Uh, huge. Are they the uh, twin wheel axle? Yeah, six point three liter twin turbo V eight diesel tows the world. You know. Atlas couldn't rival its towing ability and its carrying capacity. Um, and forgive me if I got the name of that company wrong. Um, whereas I think uh, Pat Doherty and Fiat Chrysler Australia want to import the smaller one, the 1500, which is kind of like halfway between a Hilux and that. What do you reckon's right for the country then? What, what, what is the, what's the best fit? I don't know. It's Because uh... we love a big truck here, you know what I mean? You do see some private imported Rams on the road here and, and, and the equivalents. People do like an absurdly over-the-top truck. Yeah. I mean, it's probably difficult to live with, but people seem to make that, that sacrifice. Yeah. I do think that when you're talking about a brand that sort of revolves around people being passionate about it rather than necessarily practical, it may be better to go absurd rather than um, mm. sensible. Look, I'm just a bit excited to see them. I know that's a really not PC thing to say, but um, I'm pretty happy about this, guys. I love a massive truck. <laughs> and not just because hot dudes drive. I was going to say, I know exactly why you like a massive truck. It's because you can attract tradies. You in, don't know anything it? about... It's yes, like, it's yes, like yes, bees do. to honey. Is that even a thing? It's like f- a moth to a flamer. Oh, hello. And yeah. we've you got a flamer. 50 tradies right in the back of the tub. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, mm. and now we're home on that note. There you are. Uh, no, no. Moving right along, though, guys. Um, so we've got Tokyo coming up. Yes. We're all excited because we're all going. Speaking of places, a big ram would be ridiculous. Yeah. Tokyo. Yeah, totally. Their top selling car, well, it was last year anyway, was the Toyota Aqua, which is the Prius C. Correct. You could get it in the Barbie Girl edition, it was limited. The what? The Barbie Girl edition. Dan oh, yeah, of course. Dan bought three. He did. Didn't he? Oh, yeah. And also, the top 100 selling cars in Japan are built in Japan. 100. Mm. 100. Wow. Insular country. Anyway, it's fabulous. <laughs> I live there. I love everything about it. Um, we are going over there. We're going to see some fabulous stuff. Now, this is a very different show than what we're used to, isn't it? It only happens every two years, and Japan's very interesting. It's obviously a showcase for those Japanese car makers. The Euros don't get much of a show. You don't here. go there to see BMW and Benz. Yeah. The Euro shows are quite inclusive of all nationalities. There is a presence of German cars and things there, but it's very much about the Japanese industry. And moreover, it's about the weird stuff you only see in Japan. The little K cars, the box cars, the weird configurable drift cars, all that awesome stuff. Is, uh, is really popular there at the Tokyo yeah. Motor Show. And because of that, it's a completely different vibe. It's not like anything else I've really been to. I really actually really like it. I'm a, again, I'm a bit of a Japophile. But well, I'm a bit of a Tokyo virgin. I've not been to the Motor Show there before, Ooh. so this is my first year. You'll see the upside down triangle. <laughs> oh, I don't want to... No, oh, okay, it's right. not a sexy thing. It's just Okay, right. I didn't know it was like a map of Tasman <laughs> uh, reference or something. Well, it could be. We'll see. Um, but there's, uh, there's going to be some interesting stuff. It doesn't seem like there's a huge amount happening yet, but there'll be some surprises we're sure of. Um, Lexus uh, this week have teased a concept that they're calling some kind of luxury concept. Everyone's speculating that it's going to be an LS replacement, which is probably about right, but then other people are speculating it's a whole new model. But I don't know. Who don't knows? Know. Who knows? We're going to find out at the show. Um as you said, lots of Japanese domestic market stuff. Now, last time around, two years ago, there was something called the Suzuki Hustler. 
Does anyone remember that? I remember the name. Yeah, as if you'd forget Does it. Does anyone yeah. remember the <laughs> exactly. Honda Vezel, which we took to calling the Honda Vajazzle? That's right. Yes. Turned into the HRV. And their most successful model. Should I forgot about the Vajazzle. Yeah, exactly. But tell us about the Hustler. Go on, what oh, it was ha- just this minuscule, like, K-car version of a crossover with uh, really retro styling. Love it. And twin... T- it is... The coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. Oh, oh, come I wish, on. Uh, see, one oh. reason why I'd like to see parallel imports in Australia, just so they can bring totally. K-cars. Be great. I got to drive one last time as well, kind of by accident at a test track that I was driving a Mitsubishi. By accident? What, did you stand on one and skate along for a minute? <laughs> well, I, I did skate across the road a little bit uh, frighteningly, but that was because I went around a corner really quickly in something that couldn't handle it at no. all. And then I nearly died. So, anyway, it was really cool. I love K-Cars too. They are pretty fabulous. Um, uh, so, we're also going to see, ladies and gentlemen, the return of the Suzuki Ignis. Oh. Do we really need to resurrect that name, <laughs> Ignis. Yeah, Do you know I what I mean? Ignis. My neighbour has an Ignis. Ooh. It's a green one. Um, no. It's, do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> They've resurrected Vitara. Great Bellino's name. has come back. Do you need to resurrect that name? Well, I guess they're trying to trade on their famous badges, aren't they? They kudos to them for giving it a crack. I think Vitara, maybe Bellino, but Ignis is never. Yeah. It was never a car that was that good in the first place. If you know what I mean. People it, it aren't passionate a, about an Ignis, s- are they? It doesn't have a storied history. No. Are they going to bring back the Liana? I hope so. I mean, what else? Yeah. You know, I don't. But there's, there's, there's oh. room in the world for cars that aren't, you know, for passionate people. It's just a car that does a job probably very well. Mm. You know, people buy Camrys, don't they? Sorry. To ooh, ooh. Well, you know what I mean. I mean, it's, the Camry's probably not the best example. I mean, at least that that has something going for it. You're but, not the best example. Sorry. True. That but I do at least have just a handful of things going for me. Um, now, also, we're going to be seeing the next generation Subaru Impreza in ca- uh, concept form. Mm. And Forrester too, right? They're showing I think two. so. It's kind of, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's a play on the, this Vazeev concept that they've done 68 times over the last <laughs> four years. This is the latest version of it, but it does look a lot like it could be a Forrester replacement, which is odd though, because the Forrester's not that old. No. Unless it's something new. Seven-seater. Maybe. Anyway, we will find out. Uh, Some other stuff. Honda FCV, their next production version of their fuel cell vehicle, Uh we'll be having a look at, which is a bit exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, And the big one, though, of course, is Mazda's sports car that they've teased, which we don't know much about, but Mazda. Hi. Yeah. I spoke to Mazda's, uh, one of its chief global boss men people um, in Frankfurt Glad recently. you got the uh, job title. <laughs> Frank, no, uh, Moro-san in Frankfurt oh, recently, yeah. uh, who's the head of marketing for the company, and he gave a very strong hint to me that this will be a rotary car and it mm. will be a RX-7 successor and it yep. will make production. And 2020 is the rough date the company's looking at, I 2020? believe. 2020? That's what I've heard in the past because 2020 has a particular significance to Mazda in terms of timing oh. uh, and of Wise, oh. he seems to take time. But it's funny, Mazda's been keeping rotary on the back burner mm. for years and years and years. It never gave up on rotary. It's just that it couldn't make it work with the meager funds that it and had to make it work. That's exactly why they're waiting till 2020 to do this, is because they need to work out how it, to stop it breaking down after 100,000 <laughs> kilometres and also to stop using 3 billion litres per 100 kilometres. It's the latter that's the real problem, yeah. and, and they'll probably end up doing what Audi did when they borrowed the, forgive me, Wankel rotary system. That, that is, is actually right. the name. Um, and they incorporated it within a hybrid system and yeah. I think you'll find that the next rotary Mazda will be a hybrid and the petrol uh, the petrol engine component will be the rotary because yep. otherwise it just won't meet Euro 6 emissions yep. or it'd be very hard to yep. 
and it could very well be based on the MX5 platform because they have said Absolutely. That stretchable. So I mean, well, the whole Sky that. Active thing is all about that. It's a giant mechanic. And as mm. we said before, MG without a convertible is sort of nothing. Mazda, to a lesser degree, but a Mazda without a rotary—that's yeah. a big chunk of its brand Completely. DNA missing. Yeah. So yeah. the company knows it. It's made all its mainstream cars really yeah. great now. It's got some money together. It's time for niche products. Yeah. Absolutely, this is the first step in that. Let's and do it. This awesome is work. Terribly Mazda. exciting. Can you imagine a car with a chassis like an MX-5, uh, but the engine is a rotary? I mean, that is sports car th- enthusiast I nirvana. I know. And on that note, we're just going to have a small towel down, and we'll, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back very shortly with the very lovely Paul Mathers from Motor Classica. Stick around. This is Fender Bender. Tim, Mike and Dan here with you on a lovely Saturday in Melbourne. And uh, a beautiful Saturday it is. There's a lot happening in Melbourne, as there always is. You should come down here if you're not from here. Uh, But one enormous thing is happening at the Melbourne Exhibition Buildings in Carlton Gardens. And that is, of course, Motor Classica. It's a fabulous event that's been running for a few years now. It's running uh, all weekend and you can head down now. You can grab tickets. You can go tomorrow. Um, And on the line, we have the wonderful organiser. We've spoken to him before. He's Gentleman and a scholar, Paul Mathers, are you there? Oh, wow, that's an intro. Thank yeah. you. Did you like that? <laughs> I like that, Tim, yeah. You can uh, you can call me a gentleman and a scholar any day and I'll, <laughs> I'll be very appreciative. But, but now you have to live up to the reputation, so, you know, just make or break from here. <laughs> well, thousands wouldn't agree with it, but anyway, we're going to go with that. <laughs> Beautiful. Now it's all happening today, and uh, and of course tomorrow. It's uh, you've uh, you've opened up. It's all all very exciting, and and you guys have got a very big year this year. A couple of um, Australian firsts, and I think we can start with the very exciting BMW concept. Oh wow! What a car! Bit of a stunner. I mean, of course, this is it, it is it's just amazing. I mean, we're really privileged to have this car, you know, Tim, because the only public appearances ever made internationally was at Pebble Beach back in August, and that car has come straight out from California here to Motor Classica. It's only here for three days at the show, and then it's going back to Germany. Mm. And um, for those who remember or at least have read about it, um, it's a tribute to the. Um, the uh, three-liter CSL, um, the very famous Batmobile mm. that um, that won Sebring, uh, an incredibly iconic car, and um, this is the sort of modern-day tribute to it, and it's absolutely incredible. You know, we asked them; they, they brought out two bodyguards with the car. Oh, really? Said, um, yeah, yeah. And we asked them, "What's it worth?" Of course, you always ask that question. It's yeah. the tackiest question you can possibly <laughs> ask anyone. But we always ask anyway. And they reckon it's valued at $6 million. Wow. That is upsetting. And it's only increasing in value. Well, there's only one of them. So, um, yes, you know, it's uh, it's crazy. But, I mean, it's a fantastic car. And the whole BMW stand is fantastic. Yeah, we absolutely believe it is. Um, Now, have you valued the overall amount of metal that you have in Carlton Gardens right now? Yeah. Are you allowed yeah. to say that? or uh... <laughs> it, it, Again, you t- you're asking me tacky questions. Yeah, totally. Um, if you are Motor Classica's insurer, <laughs> please tune out now. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, we reckon somewhere between 75 and $80 million. <laughs> Jeepers. <laughs> I know, That right? is fantastic. What does that even look like? Ex- it looks like Motor Classica. Exactly. Go along today if mm. you want to know what $80 well, million bucks looks like. Let me give you an example, right? Um, I'm just walking through. It's quietened down a little bit this afternoon, but the auction's on tonight, so it's about to get busy again. I'm just walking through the supercar area, and here I'm looking at 
very first Lamborghini Miura that ever came to Australia. Wow. It's right next to a, a brand new res- restoration of a, um, a, a Countach LP400, which is the oh. first edition. Right behind that, we've got a 288 GTO Ferrari, the only oh. one in Australia. Whoa. Right next to the Testarossa and an F40. Across the aisle from a 512 Berlinetta Boxer um, and, and a Daytona. Oh, and my Lord above. An right, F40, right that's my favourite that, car in the world. Well, there you go. Right behind that, though, there's an XJ220 Jaguar and an, uh, an XJR15 um, uh, race car or road-going version of the Jaguar race car that won Le Mans. Mm. Um, i got a McLaren F1 that mm. I'm oh. standing right next to now. Which is right in front of a, a Pagani Zonda. Oh my god! I mean, it's like, I mean, you know, I, are you wedding yourself yet? A little bit. I think you're showing off now, Paul. Uh, <laughs> that I, is I feel incredible. Like it, yeah, I'm name dropping. Yeah. <laughs> now, would you look? Uh, this might be a ridiculous question. There's obviously uh, the the kind of prestige brands and the the iconic sports brands that you have. Would you would you ever have like a mint condition Datsun or something like that on show there? <laughs> One forty Y. Yeah. Um, why not? No, 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 not not today. Not today. No. no. Understandable. No. Understandable. I but don't y- think that anyone would be disappointed with what they did. <laughs> True. Get Even it. if they were a Datsun fan. Yep. Hey, Paul. It's Mike Costello here, mate. It's um. There's a bit of a g'day, mate. There's a bit of a trend at the moment in Australian motor show scenes where the bigger, more sort of well-known new car motor shows are really either disappeared or or, or been in a state of flux. And yet, Motor Classica in the past few years have really has really gone from strength to strength to strength. I mean, the lineup you've just named sounds sort of a lot stronger than we've seen in previous years. What do you attest that to? Why is Motor Classica sort of uh, growing to such a degree? Well, I think, I think it's a great question, and it's one that we ask ourselves, too. I mean, I think that it, it's because it's predominantly an event for people who love cars, who define their own personalities by the car or cars that they drive. And so what it's about is about, is about that kind of lifestyle choice as opposed to your regular motor show, which is really pitched at selling lots of units. And, and that means selling it to... Um, Joe Smith, who needs a car to get from A to B. Now, Joe Smith has got a whole lot of other options. He doesn't need to go to a car show to compare three different models of of car. Um, And so motor shows, I think, have lost their audience in a sense, whereas Motor Classica doesn't look for that audience. It looks for a very different audience, and it's a very passionate, engaged audience. And we, we try each year to create a show that we think will really speak to them and, and show them something that they haven't necessarily seen before. And, and you know, in many cases, realise people's dreams. I, I, I've seen men with, with tears in their eyes walking around Motor Classica and, and, and just, you know, revelling in, in the amount of history and heritage that's on show here. I think that that's the difference. You don't get that at a motor show. You don't get that emotional attachment that people have when they can walk around Motor Classica and they can go, oh, you know... I remember those when I was a kid or, um, you know, my granddad used to have one and, and all of that sort of talk that, that happens and that oral history that starts to get passed around between people that visit. I mean, there's lots of conversations that go on at Motor Classica and, and, I, and that takes me to the, I think, what is the key point is that Motor Classica, sure, it's got lots of cars there, but really it's about people. Mm. And, and uh, um, 
Joe, yeah. Joe Smith is actually one of our regular listeners as well, so it's, it's great that you put a shout out to him. Um, so uh, I totally understand and I completely sympathise um, and agree with your, your point, Paul, but um, in, in welcoming uh, manufacturers of new cars, are you having to be really careful that you don't dilute some of that passion of all the classics with, with new cars, albeit, you know, very sexy and exotic new cars, but um, do you think that, you know, if the balance ever becomes incorrect and slightly out of balance, then you're going to lose a lot of the contingents that made Motor Classica exactly what it is today? Well, we're really aware of the balance, and, um, and we would never sacrifice a spot that was meant for a car in the Concorde d'Elegance to a manufacturer. So we do have a finite amount of space here that we can dedicate to manufacturers. We, um, we tend to invite manufacturers to exhibit rather than take a call from, I'm not going to mention any brands, but <laughs> take a call from a large consumer brand, let's say, um, who might want to exhibit and then say, oh, yeah, we'll take your money, no worries, and there goes 20 car spaces that could have been used for the Concorde. I mean, we will always have, somewhere between 100 and 105-ish cars in the Concorde. And that preserves the integrity of, of what Motor Classica is really about. And then when we talk about the manufacturers, well, we really encourage them to be celebrating their heritage. And, um, and, and, and they have this year. You know, we talked about BMW. We could say the same from Mercedes-Benz, who have really, um, you know, with what they've shown this year, they've really... Um, They've really celebrated their heritage, and when people come down and have a look, they'll see what I mean by that, with a beautiful display. Um, you know, even Porsche, I'm looking at the Porsche stand, they've got three cars on it, and only one of them's a new car. They've got a 356 and an early 911 as well. And, um, and that's what really, I think, the manufacturers are getting. But this isn't a place where they come to sell new cars. Um, it might be a place where they launch new cars, which go on to be future classics, um, but, um, but it's also a place where they celebrate heritage. And I think that the punter actually likes that. You know, I think the visitors that come to Motor Classic like the fact that manufacturers are not only supporting their, their passion, but they're celebrating their passion as well. And that's what we're trying to encourage. And Paul, in terms of some of those new car brands, uh, some newcomers this year, I believe Citroen? Yeah, Citroen are here. Um, they're basically launching the DS brand. Because, um, as you would know, that DS is going off on, to be its own brand, in a sense. Um, and so they've got some cars here. They did a, um, a media launch for those cars yesterday. Um, we've got, um, goodness me, well, we've got Alfa Romeo, we've got Lotus, we've got Maserati. Ferrari are here for the very first time. Oh, wow. Um, and, and again, you know, about Ferrari, they're, <clears throat> they've got one car on their stand. But predominantly, they're, they're um, promoting their classiche um, uh, sort of, the section of their business. Mm. So, um, yeah, so the, yeah, there are a number of new cars. I mean, we've got, I think, 12 in all new car brands. Mm. Um, but all of them are doing something, or most of them at least, are doing something that is, is sort of looking back at their history and showing how that is informing what they're doing in the future. Beautiful. And, and Paul, what's the, uh, what's the park and sell thing this year i noticed on the website something about a park and sell what's all that about well we, we we that was something we really tried we wanted to dip our toes in the water as to how to sort of um you know add another level to the event and we did that just on friday because of course on the weekend here we have um the club sandwich which is all the victorian car clubs that come along and put on display so that fills up our outdoor space but on friday that doesn't happen so we opened it up to park and sell and we had a number of um you know, private vendors with cars that they want to try to sell and they get to park them outside and 
come into Motor Classica and, you know, try to sell their cars to, you know, our audience that comes here on a Friday. Mm. And, um, look, it was the first time. It was very small. It was smaller than we'd hoped. But I think that the prognosis there that it was, was that it was a really great idea and something that we should try to develop for future years. Fabulous. Good to know. And look, one last thing, and I'm sure we've asked you this every single time we've spoken to you, but what's your personal... What's my favourite car? Yes, I know it's a boring question, <laughs> Paul, but we had to ask it. Oh, jeez. Um, look, I... Um, oh, wow. I'm looking around. I'm trying to find one for you to tell you it's my favourite. Um, okay, I did say earlier on, of the more modern cars, I, I find it really hard to walk past the next J220 Jaguar because yeah. I am a Jag man. Yeah. And, um, and that would be a car that I'd love to take home with me. It's very rare. It's fast. It's, you know, I could drive it um, without worrying about it too much. But, oh, gosh, you know, there's some very, very special cars here. There's a Bristol, um, Zagato-bodied Bristol here that's absolutely gorgeous. They only made four of them. Um, one of and there's three surviving. There's one of them here. There's a there's a fantastic um, Lancia Flaminia um, with a Superleggera um, body on it, Ooh. which is just absolutely gorgeous. Um, that's one that's for sale. That's on the Old Timer Australia stand. Um, well, Paul, you know, maybe what we'll do is... My we'll... tastes are very diverse. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> what we could do, Paul, is we might pop over after the show and we'll try and sort of create some kind of distraction, a fabulous distraction, and, and you hop in the, the 220 and you could actually maybe, you know, fulfil your dream with a little, <laughs> little help from the uh, Fender Bender team. Yeah. <laughs> actually, do you, do you want to know a secret? Yeah. Um, at the moment in my pocket, I'm carrying the keys to a mirror. Oh! <laughs> so, okay. You might see me stealing off down the street at some point. Yeah, who knows? Reminder of who to mug when we get there. <laughs> um, but now, uh, uh, are people wanting to go tomorrow or the few remaining hours of today, uh, uh, how do people um, do that, Paul? Well, we're open to 9 o'clock tonight for the auction, of course. They can pop, out, pop down this afternoon or tonight if they like, um, or tomorrow from 9 o'clock till 5pm. Uh, uh, you can buy tickets on the website. It's a great way of avoiding the queues. Mm. That's just www.motorclassica.com.au. Um, or come on down here to the gate and you'll be able to pick up a ticket and... Um, you know, come in and lose some saliva. <laughs> <laughs> that is a perfect way Lovely. to end this, I think, Paul. Look, thank you very much and congratulations and, and good luck uh, with the event. It's a fabulous event. We, uh, we're big fans of it and we will, uh, we will be seeing you later to harass you for those keys. Yeah, no problem. Well, thank you for having me. It's always been a pleasure to be a part of the program. You're more than welcome. That's uh, Paul Mathers from Motor Classica. This is Fender Bender. We will be back very soon. Lots more coming up. Now, Mike, you have had a big couple of weeks. You've mm. uh, had a bit of a jaunt, haven't you? You could say that. A bit of a road trip. Mm. What would you do? I decided to, uh, this week... Uh, remind myself of the pleasures of a long drive because it's the sort of thing that Australians used to do all the time. It was just a given that you would drive colossal distances, but with airfares being so cheap now, people just don't do it. Mm. So I thought, bugger it. I have an office in Sydney and I have an office in Melbourne and I'm going to drive between them in a day. Look, 
I've driven much longer distances before, so it's not like it's a earth-shattering record, but it's like a nice reminder of the the pleasant, relaxing joys of putting a podcast on or a good mm. good soundtrack on, watching the scenery go by, relaxing, cruising. Beautiful way to idle away a few hours. Yeah, it's about a nine to ten hour drive. So you didn't go via the coast then? No, no. <laughs> I took the boring Hume way, which reminded me also of the terrible Australian uh, obsession with limiting speed to faintly ridiculous limits. But yeah. that's for another time. Um, being a, a vaguely pretentious motoring journalist that I am, I couldn't just take any car. I had to take a Range Rover, didn't I? Because that's just what we well, do. What else? Um, <laughs> but most impressively, it was a Range Rover Sport SDV8, which is the mid-spec Range Rover Sport model, retails for about 110 grand. BMW X5 rival, fantastic mm. car. I average 7.8 litres every 100 k no of way. diesel. Which is the sort of figure that you would have expected from a Golf diesel a few years ago or that's something bonkers. of similar size. Mm. So that's frankly remarkable. Mm. Admittedly, I had the crew set at 110 and I was just idling away. So um, it's not exactly the most I... strenuous exercise. Mm. Oh, he's 110 limit, isn't it? Absolutely. Oh, yeah, mm. Okay, sorry. Yeah. I would never break the speed limits, Dan. No ever. one does. No one in the studio. No. 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 It's oh, against hell. I like my license too much. <laughs> it does bring up a thing, and this is again not for now, but uh, it's interesting because uh, all of this talk about um, car makers not being honest about their fuel figures and that kind of thing. Well, they're being honest about you know how it's tested. That's what happens, and that's the result they get. And then uh, p- you know people like Choice or whatever come and compare it and go, oh no, that's not real world. Well, what's real world? And you've gotten in a real world situation a pretty amazing result. Mm. But everyone's real world driving. Well, is it different. depends how you drive. Exactly. If you're a, if you're a lead foot or if you don't know how to modulate your brake pedal mm. if you there's so many ways to drive a car efficiently and unfortunately yeah. Australians aren't trained to do this I'm going off on another rant now, yeah, but sorry. Australians aren't trained to drive properly no, and true. so people don't know how to get the best out of their car mm. I'm, I'm not saying cruising along on a freeway is the best way to drive a car or particularly taxing but it's an mm. example of how you can see amazing for use but it's yeah. a more consistent test and I think that's why it's a useful um, example you know we, frequently we see in figures the three different fuel economies urban there's extra urban which is freeway and then there's the combined mm. all of those with the exception of the uh, freeway driving are very difficult to standardize and get some kind of consistency across testing so the freeway one i think to me is the most important one yeah because you do often you well you always get the higher figure of efficiency uh and also it's it's much more of a standard mm. that every car can achieve the thing that's surprising about that is that you look at a range Rover, you don't think when you first see one that's the most aerodynamic of all cars. <laughs> it's a so, house it's it really a house is, on wheels. Isn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. but the, I think the real thing for me to take out of this was, you know, if you're anything like us and you, you work in a job that requires travel, you fly mm. Sydney to Melbourne all the time, mm. and it's an hour out of your day, whatever, whatever. But this was a nice, relaxing way to kill a day. Yeah. It was a day off. It was a nine-hour day. The cost was about you know 120 bucks a diesel, so it was vaguely equivalent to an airfare. Mm. Um, and it's just, there's something quite relaxing about it. Yeah. You're just at one with the world. It's just you, the car, and your surroundings. Yep. And something good on the radio. I'm quite jealous it's, because I really miss long drives by myself. It's, I, I it's, love it's serenity. If yep. you're like us, and, and if you're listening to our show, you probably are in the cars, mm. and it's, it's, it's some sort of weird serenity. Yep. It's so, beautiful. And this was the car to do it in. Well, yeah, uh, who'd I've have done, done it in worse. Yeah, yes. <laughs> wow, I mean, Mike was almost a bit spiritual then. I know, oh my I God. Was. I was doing yoga behind the wheel. <laughs> yeah. Yoda? Oh, it's yoga, sorry. <laughs> Mike, yes. did you, Mike, did you do yoda? Oh, my God. <laughs> Drive. <I> do. <laughs> wow. No, um, yoga, me. Bikram yoga behind the wheel of, I had the heater on. Oh, and, yeah, you know, cool. Yeah. Autonomous it. car, is he going to be able to do this? <laughs> this is a good idea, though. We should all just, like, bloody sort this stuff out and go for massive drives and... 
in awesome cars. Yeah, do it. it's effectively what we do for well, work. Anyway. Yeah, that's true, actually. Let's be realistic. Um, now, uh, going down the SUV scale a little bit, Dan Gardner, you uh, also popped into a German today, this week. <laughs> Sorry. It's it's, a, it's how I like to yeah I like to spend at least you know a couple hours every week <laughs> popping into a German yes that's right <laughs> sorry uh, I Tim is of course referring to my first drive of the new BMW X1 so yes as you say we're talking a little bit smaller at the bottom end of the uh, SUV scale um, a segment that does very well in Australia and uh, BMW has had the X1 around for about five years now it's the smallest end of their SUV or as they like to call it the SAV which stands for sports activity vehicle or whatever BMW it's yeah. still an SUV yeah. um, and look this car is gaining momentum it's, it's done actually quite well previously in its previous uh, guys, the E84, I think, guys, is its code. Mm. Um, they have now done a complete refresh. Uh, it is the all-new version, and the news with this one is that it, it is way more efficient, um, and it's, of course, the biggest significant change is it now has the option of front-wheel drive. In the previous guys, it was available as a two-wheel drive, but that was rear. Uh, now we are sharing the platform of the 2 Series Active Tourer, which is kind of the little people-carrier-esque thing. Mm. BMW would also hate me for calling it a people-carrier. They've probably got some other term for it. I'm sure they would. Active Tourer. Yes. So, yes, you can have... There's a choice of four variants on offer for the new X1. There are the two S-Drive vehicles, which are front-drive only, or you can have the X-Drive, mm. which are four-wheel drive. Um, now then, we drove just the X-Drive vehicles. The S-Drives are coming a little bit later. Okay. And I have to say, look, they're, they're pretty accomplished and, and very good. Mm. Um, the standout thing in terms of the drive for me was the sportiness of their handling. You know, for, okay. for a car that is, a, to all intents and purposes, it is a jacked-up four-wheel drive car, um, it does extremely well. But that's not really that surprising these days is it because you know SUVs are frequently mm. proving they can drive way way better than they ever used to yep. and if BMW can't make a sporty version oh. of something then who can then you're in trouble it's a really good little thing to drive we drove it around from Coffs Harbour inland and then back again some great winding roads the only criticism I have of it really major is that on anything other than perfect roads it did start to show its overly sporty chassis made a lot better actually when you put the 18 inch wheels on it not the 19s of the hang on let me get this right X drive 20 <laughs> i which oh is the God. flagship two liter tur- turbo or you can have the diesel mm. uh, x drive 20d now then all that aside it's a great car okay i really liked it i think for a lot of families and young couples mm. that kind of thing it works very well it does a lot of things very well for me the big news of this car is in the way it looks now yeah. the first one the x1 it was it was all right but it, it was minging okay it just looked like a, a, a big high riding hatchback it was a bit awkward but with the, a longer bonnet it had the long bonnet it's got the rear drive proportion exactly yeah. and it had a six cylinder as well in the early stages so you had to make the bonnet long enough to take an engine oh. long engine and then send power to the back and just you, you can't polish a poo can you you know <laughs> there was no way they were going to ever get that car look <laughs> now that this engine is turned 90 degrees and you've got the potential to have a much shorter bonnet that's exactly what they've Done. And when you look at the new X1, it looks like it fits with the rest of the SUV family. Mm. It, it just, just looks like the X3. It, well, I think it looks I a lot looks better than the X3. Mm. Yeah, it's got its proportions nicer, it's lower and wider. That's and because it, it was designed by an Australian. Exactly, yeah. and that is the best thing about this car. It was designed by an Australian who now has been living in Germany, incidentally, for mm. the last seven years. Uh, yes, 
but it uh, it feels like a little bit of Australia, and um, yeah, it's it's a, a way way bigger step in yep. the right direction. It ties in really nicely um, from uh, for for the rest of the SUV family, and and it's it's a cracking little package. Yeah, really really good. And they've got finally got something that might actually take some sales away from the Audi Q3, which still sells really really well, and the Mercedes Benz GLA is doing pretty good things as mm. well. So this is their opportunity to kind of uh, stick it up the germ the other Germans. There's a lot of inserting into Dear. Germans. Today, and I'd like to apologise to the German listeners out there. On that note, boys and boys, we uh, we must leave. We must get out yeah. of this dance studio and make way for the fabulous Hannah, who will be here with her new show, Cute. So you should absolutely stick around for that. As mentioned, unfortunately, next week we will you will not be uh, hearing our dulcet tones, but you will have a double dosage of Critical Hit. Um, but we will be back the week after that, which I think is about the 14th of November. With tons of Tokyo news. We will be Hype. full to the gills with, uh, with sushi, and I'm quite happy about that. <laughs> Um, but do stick around for Hannah and Cute And uh, thank you boys Mike, Dan, thank you so much Absolute pleasure Have a you. fabulous thank trip you. boys You too yeah. Yeah. We'll Hi. see you We'll see you at the sushi stand I don't know what I'm saying It'll happen It'll happen, I think so uh, My name's Tim Nicholson Signing off for another edition of Fender Bender Safe driving This has been a Fender Bender podcast For Joy 94.9 Australia's first and only gay and lesbian radio station See joy.org.au for more details this podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Joy.